weeks and bad weeks, we bring joyful memories or painful burdens. Perhaps we come needing healing, needing peace. But we come with hope in our hearts to the Almighty God, the King of Kings. And together we come to worship. So no matter who you are or where you're from, we welcome you here this morning as we spend time in God's presence. I need to begin just by an with an announcement, if I may, to say that uh, one of our former members, Betty Fletcher, uh, who many of you remember, sadly passed away peacefully yesterday uh, at the tender age of 102. Um, so we ask that you remember her family, particularly Maggie and Doug, uh, at this time. The theme of our service this morning is God's light in our hearts. And as we prepare our own hearts and minds for worship, let's consider these words of welcome and instruction and assurance as they're found in Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God the great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So come, let us bow down in worship, let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. And so we respond to the call of the psalmist by joining together in our opening song. Tell out my soul the greatness of the Lord, unnumbered blessings, give my spirit voice. I invite you to stand or to sit as you're able as we worship together. Let's sing.
single day of the year. Oh, hello, we're alive now. And in fact, it's a speech that is delivered thousands of times a day in almost every country in the world. It's an important speech, but yet relatively few people actually listen to it or pay much attention to it. And that short speech, thank you, Brian, is the safety briefing that flight attendants deliver before every single commercial flight leaves the ground. Now, some of you know I travel quite a lot with work, and I hear that speech regularly, and I confess, I'm probably one of those people that don't pay much attention to it. But I vividly recall an occasion many years ago when I found myself in the United States traveling on a flight from Atlanta to Orlando. It was what you would describe as a typical early morning commuter flight, largely businessmen and women in suits, and as it was in the days well before smartphones or iPads, nearly everybody was buried in a newspaper. I'm sure you can picture the scene. The senior flight attendant began the briefing with a delightful southern Georgian drawl that I won't attempt to hear this morning. She introduced herself and her colleagues, and then she announced, you know, ladies and gentlemen, we couldn't help notice when you all boarded that there are some gorgeous people on this flight this morning. You know who you are, and we think the people sitting around you deserve to get a good look at you too. So why don't you turn around and take a look at all the other beautiful people joining you on this flight? And as you do, please check out our two exits at the rear, two overwing exits, and the two here at the front. <laughs> and be sure to locate the one nearest to you. Oh, and don't forget to smile at all those lovely people around you. Well, we were all taken completely by surprise by it, and the whole mood on the aircraft changed instantly. Now, I certainly I can't remember uh, the rest of that lady's monologue, but it was brilliant, and it made a lot of very seasoned travellers pay attention to something that was important, but which we generally take as routine stuff associated with boarding a plane. Coming to church can be a little bit routine, can't it? Perhaps we really do look forward to it. Perhaps we come here because we feel we have to. Or perhaps just because it's what we do on a Sunday morning. Maybe you hope we'll sing your favourite hymn or song. Maybe you'll hope we don't sing that song that you really don't like. Maybe today you're anxious about issues for yourself, your family or your loved ones. Or about work. Perhaps this hour or so here in church is a brief distraction from what we might call normal life. But as we worship this morning, let's remember we come to worship the living God, who, as the psalmist said, is the great God, the great King above all gods, our Lord and our Maker. You know, we worship the same God who in Malachi chapter 3 says, I, the Lord, do not change, but who in Isaiah 43 also says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. What a so let's make a conscious effort to be present here this morning, to open our hearts and minds to what God might say to us as we spend time together in song and in prayer, as we listen to his word and as we gather around the table a bit later in the service. And let's be prepared to be surprised by him as he speaks to our hearts. Let's pray together. Loving and almighty God, you are the first and the last. 
our Redeemer and our Rock, and we have gathered to worship you, to offer you our praise and thanksgiving, to once again affirm that you are our God and that we are your people, created by you for your purposes. We meet as brothers and sisters in Christ, accepting the responsibility this places upon us to love one another as you have loved us. We meet as your lights in this dark world and pray that through our words and our lives, others might be drawn into your family and accept you as their Lord and Saviour. So open our eyes and hearts to your presence among us this morning. Through your word and spirit, challenge us to greater faithfulness and obedience so that we may be the people you intend and accomplish the work you have set out for us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And so I invite you to stand again as we continue our worship with our next song which speaks of the immeasurable depths of God's love and his grace and salvation for each of us that we now enjoy as part of his family. When I was lost, you came and rescued me. Let's sing together.
you. Please be seated. Yeah, we're delighted this morning to be welcoming Ben Fisher into membership here at Brighton Road when we celebrate communion a bit later in the service. But I'm going to invite Ben to come up now and share his testimony with us as part of his worship. Ben, come. Bless you. Um, I wanted to start a little bit by explaining how I came to be a Christian in the first place. Um, I have kind of always been at least a church attender. Um, however, during lockdown, I kind of lost my faith. I think largely this was because my identity as a Christian was based so much in coming to church that when that left, the kind of everything else, my whole Christian identity went with it. And then that really led to me questioning my faith until the summer of 2021. When I really rediscovered my faith in a way that was much realer and much truer than the, whatever the faith that I had before was. I came back and rediscovered the value of being in a relationship with Jesus. I got baptised in December of that year and since then I've been on a journey of further discovery and progress. Something that really helped me with this is uh, the Amplify Academy, which is a course that's run by various different Christian, orga Christian organisations whose mission is to equip young people for evangelism. This has given me a great opportunity to meet lots of other young Christians and really help strengthen my faith. Um, as a part of this mission, I've also really enjoyed being a part of the CU at Colliers. Um, it's really great to have a community of Christians within the college, and I'm really excited to see what's going to happen with that over the next kind of year, and um, especially as we start to get the new first years in September. Um, but then the other question is, why do I want to become a member at Brighton Road? Um, and I think the main reason for becoming a member at Brighton Road is it's a... Uh, kind of the, the active decision to be a part of the church, something that's really weird about having kind of grown up in this church. We've been here for a very long, eight years? Something like that. Might, might be eight years. But like in that time, a lot has happened. I was probably nine or 10 when we joined in the first place. Now I'm 17. And it's really weird having grown up into a church, in a church because you never really join the church. But um, I think I'm at a time now where I'm able to be a more active member of the church and contribute in a way that's kind of more useful and meaningful than I've been able to previously. We look forward to welcoming you, welcoming you in a bit later. We're going to sing again another song that reminds us of God's faithfulness and protection for each of us. And uh, as we sing the song, the children will be leaving for BRBK. And then uh, after we've sung, Mary and Tim are going to bring our reading and our prayers for the world. Let's stand as we sing.
Our reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. We come to our time of prayer. In preparing this, I was drawn to a particular scripture reading and it refers to a mountain. Um, and where does my help come from? And the mountain's big and sometimes the problems we see around us seem quite big as well. Lots of issues, too much to pray for. But the writer says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So let us pray. Lord, we thank you that we can come into your presence this morning as we gather in worship and as a fellowship. Lord, we thank you for your promises to us, for your love to us. But Lord, we are mindful that there's much around us that trouble us. And so, Lord, we want to pray for the world, and we want to pray for countries, and we want to pray for nations. Lord, bring your justice and peace into the parts of the world where there is war and unrest. And we pray for Ukraine. We pray that the fighting will cease and that peace will be brought about, perhaps through dialogue and discussion, that the differences can be settled. Lord, we would, bring, we would pray for your grace and peace to be in the lives of those in Turkey and Syria in the aftermath of the violent earthquake. So much destruction, so much loss of life, so much grieving. We pray for the relief work that is going on and for the help given. May it reach those in greatest need. Lord, we would pray your compassion would be with those in the world where heat or lack of rain causes famine. That means people suffering and animals dying. We pray for those caught up in flooding due to ex excess rain, especially those who have experienced these cyclones recently hitting their land and property with such ferocity. Lord, we pray for those in the world where it's not natural catastrophes, but perhaps man-made situations and difficulties that cause so much suffering and pain. Lord, many countries need your mercy and peace. May you bring forward people of peace and power that we may see nations and authorities turning to you. O Lord our God, may your justice and truth reign in the hearts of our leaders in this world. 
so that greed and selfishness can be replaced with care and sharing. Let us now pray for ourselves, our town and our communities, and for our fellowship here this morning. Lord, you know each one of us. We are truly known by you, and you love us individually. We are made in your image. But Lord, we want to pray for those amongst us who are troubled. We pray for those amongst us who are suffering with health issues. We are mindful also of those who struggle with mental health. Lord, bring your healing and comfort to these situations and help those who are carers because loved ones are in need of extra help. And perhaps in the quietness, perhaps we just pray for those that we know personally and, and those situations that we are so concerned about. And so, Lord, we pray for your peace and guidance this week, for us all, and especially for those who feel burdened with much and it seems too difficult to carry on. May we know your mercy and grace and a peace that will carry us through these difficult and testing times. <coughs> and we pray for our church, for our deacons, for Tim and Michael, and we pray for the youth work in the kids' club. We thank you that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, and that we can come only to you through him. And Lord, we pray for the week ahead that you will guide and guard us. We pray for the activities here, for all the different people who will come through into the building during the week. May your name be praised and honoured in all the work here. So Lord, strengthen us by your Holy Spirit and direct our paths. Lord, we bring these prayers in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Tim and Mary, thank you. David will be bringing God's word to us in just a moment, but before that, we're going to listen to a song that Anita is going to sing for us. It's called God of the Moon and Stars. We used it a couple of times in our worship in the past, and it speaks vividly of the boundless nature of God's love, reminding us that no one is excluded, no matter our gender, race, sexual orientation, physical ability, or our place in society. And it sets the scene for what David will be sharing with us in a few moments. And perhaps it provides an opportunity for each of us to reflect on our own relationship with God and to open our hearts to him as he speaks to us. So the words are on screen. Anita is going to sing for us.
Am I okay with this? That's it? Good. A little better? Yes. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I wonder what it must have been like to be a disciple of Jesus, one of the twelve. They called him rabbi, which meant teacher. Well, of course, Israel has seen plenty of rabbis, but there was none like this one. What set him apart? 
What made Jesus unique as a teacher? His authority, yes, of course. But I think also it must have touched people just to see Jesus reaching out to people, all comers. Jesus ate with sinners. He touched people with leprosy. He mixed with Samaritans, whom the Jews despised. And he even expressed admiration for Gentiles, commending the faith of a Roman centurion. So it was in the course of Jesus' ministry that the disciples first caught the, a glimpse of just how inclusive the God of Israel really is. Because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. After the apostles received their commission at Pentecost, their lessons on how God was reaching out to all people of all nations continued. But they were always discovering how God was ahead of them. While Gentiles were confessing their faith in Jesus, the apostles were still figuring out whether Christian Jews could sit and eat alongside Christian Gentiles. They squabbled over whether the Gentiles should be told to obey the law of Moses. Should Gentile males be circumcised? Could Gentiles be allowed water baptism? It was God who was ahead of them. He revealed his intentions when he poured out his spirit on Jews and Gentiles just the same, with no distinction. And God started to demonstrate how there was no need for laws written on stone or parchment. <coughs> Through the work of the Holy Spirit, he was writing his laws on people's hearts. Today we're looking again at words from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. So what about Paul? Did he complete his education on the road to Damascus? Of course not. For him, his, for him, his missionary journeys were also journeys of revelation. He had the opportunity to observe for himself how God's love for all mankind was being revealed. I'd like to focus on Paul's mission to Corinth, but first, I'd like to put some things in context. Paul started his work as an evangelist in Asia Minor. But up there on the right, you will see Troas, Troas, just on the coast there. And it was while Paul was there, one night he had a vision. He saw the Macedonian calling out to him to come over to Macedonia to help. Acts of Apostles makes it clear that Paul responded immediately, convinced that God was calling him to Macedonia to take the good news of the gospel of Jesus there. What he did was instantly get on a boat, 
to Samothraci, an island which you might pick out of that lot. He was on his way to Neapolis. Now, Paul was an intelligent man and he was a Roman um, citizen. He would have known that the Romans had built a road, a road system that would join Rome to Byzantium. And you can't really see it very well on that. It's in pink, a sort of a pinky red. It's a dotted line. That's the, um, that's the Roman road. So Paul knew that if he could just actually go to Neapolis, sorry, need to, what, what do I need to do? Sorry. So sorry. <laughs> do you want me to have a clip on? Would you prefer me to have a clip on? Is it? Is it, is it difficult to hear? Shall we sort that? Is it because I'm moving around? <coughs> what shall I do, Andy? Do I keep going? You, you can hear me. These people can hear me. Should I just speak louder? Yes. I'll just shout then. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm going to shout. <laughs> you have to turn me down now. Okay, so Paul was on his way and he was about to set foot for the first time in Europe. And so he, he got on the Roman road and he immediately got to uh, Philippi. And that was where he started to preach. Now, as we'll discover, what Paul had as a strategy was to seek out um, Jewish settlements. And there probably wasn't a synagogue at Philippi, in fact. But what Paul did was he went to the river. And he went to the river, river on the Sabbath. He knew that that's where Jews might congregate. And sure enough, he was able to preach the gospel. And Paul, Paul did it his way. He was obviously thoroughly versed in all of the Jewish texts. And he was able to show that Jesus was the Messiah. This was his comfort zone. This is what Paul could do best. But in the event, things didn't go quite to plan because the next day in the Roman Forum he was arrested for causing an affray. He was beaten, thrown into prison and the next day was bundled out of Philippi. We're not lingering there. There's a whole series of sermons right there in Philippi but we're going to move on because the whole point is that as he was then bruised and broken and on his way back on the Roman road further westward, He'd managed to convert just two households. We only know of two households in Philippi that came, came to Jesus. Thessalonica, what did he do? He went straight to the synagogue. And there he had rather more success. There were some Gentiles closely affiliated with the synagogue, in fact, um, God-fearing Gentiles, 
and some of those came to faith. But very soon, he found that actually the Jews there in the synagogue had had enough of him. So they hired a mob, and he was hounded out of Thessalonica, and he's back on the road again. And he ends up in Berea. In Berea, what did he do? He's back in the synagogue again. This is what Paul did. But unfortunately, fairly quickly, the mob caught up with him. So it was Timothy and Silas that dragged Paul out of Berea and dispatched him swiftly to Athens. So it hadn't gone the way that Paul had quite expected. In Athens, there was no synagogue, but Paul nevertheless kept preaching. Um, He wasn't out of his depth. Because, my goodness, if you read Acts and you actually see the speech that he made to the Areopagus, he'd been summoned to the council of the city, um, a semi-judicial body, and if you read what he had put together, he clearly knew an awful lot about the Greeks. He knew their philosophies, he knew their poets, and it's very carefully crafted. But did it have impact? Not really. One of the the Areopagus was indeed brought to faith, a chap called Dionysius, and about half a dozen other people. But very soon he finds himself back on the road and he ends up in Corinth. So Athens hadn't gone quite the way he'd wanted. We don't hear, do we, of a church in Athens? Paul never wrote any letter to the Athenians, not as far as we know. So he comes to Corinth. Now, I know I've preached about this before, so you'll forgive me if I just remind you, Corinth was special. It was only 50 miles down the road from Athens, but it could have been on a different planet. Athens was the old capital. Corinth was the new Roman capital. It sits on a skinny little piece of land no more than four miles wide. It was built by edict of Julius Caesar and it had a port on the Adriatic and it had a port on the Aegean. Things could be offloaded off ships coming from the the Adriatic, reloaded onto ships in the Aegean, so there was steady trade running through Corinth from west to east. The Romans even built a stone road to haul flat-bottomed boats, fully laden, just across the four miles, so that they could be hauled out one side and refloated the other. Corinth was an absolute hotbed of trade. If you were moving from north to south, you'd have to go through that four-mile strip and you would necessarily go through Corinth. So Corinth was filled with all sorts of traders from across the known world. Every language was spoken in Corinth. Every god was worshipped in Corinth. There will have been people certainly worshipping every Roman god, 
every Greek god, every pagan god. There will have even been ancient Coptics still worshipping Isis and Osiris. But the other thing was that it was an absolute hotbed of debauchery. The depravity of Corinth was renowned. Prostitution, immorality and darkness. Corinth, Corinthianized, was slang for licentiousness. So why did Paul go there? I think he was only going there to get on a boat. We know that he was going to end up in, back in Israel. And because there was such a... Because, because Corinth, if you like, was the Heathrow airport of the day, that's where you go if you want to get a boat, he would have been well out of his comfort zone here. But he did go to, to, to the synagogue there and he bumped into Aquila. And he started to preach, in fact, in the synagogue. But it didn't last long. Guess what? He fell out with the Jews and they wanted to bundle him out. So that was it. I think he was then going to catch the next boat out. But Jesus appeared to him. And Jesus told him, stay here, continue to preach. I have many in this city who are my people. Doesn't your heart go out to Paul? Just think of what it was like for Paul at breakfast. He thought he was going to get away. He was going to draw a line under his first excursion into Europe. And here he was with Jesus explaining to him that he had, had to sort out this city, a hotbed of vice. How did he go about it? We know his technique. It's well laid out in, in various places in Acts with the Jews. He was so versed in their ancient scriptures. And he was good with the Athenians too. It was a very cleverly constructed speech. But how was he going to make inroads into the population of Corinth? Well, we know. We know exactly what he did. A few years later, he wrote a letter to the Corinthians. And when he was writing it, probably from Ephesus, he was just reminiscing on his missionary journey. He was thinking how it went from Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and Corinth. And he explained, the Jews wanted a sign. The Greeks wanted wisdom. To you, I preach Jesus nailed to a cross. And they came to faith. He was there for 18 months. And Corinth will have become the largest church in Europe. He could have pronounced over them the benediction for it's the God who said, light let light shine out of darkness, who has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
it truly was a case of people who lived in darkness had seen a great light. And Corinth is truly a testimony of just how God wishes to reach out to all. Our God is inclusive. But that was the first century. How inclusive are we in the 21st century? I groaned a few days ago when in the Times I saw prominently on the third page virtually a whole spread reporting how a parish church somewhere in the West Country it's been around for centuries witnessing to Jesus but they're facing closure they're down to about the last 20 people occasionally turning up and they're facing closure because the parochial church council is insisting that they will not have a female priest. The church would prefer to close rather than concede after centuries of witness. Paul, of course, was famously strange when it came to gender. He said that women shouldn't speak in church, I think, seem to recall on one occasion. Just looking back at his, his mission briefly, it's astonishing, isn't it? His mission was bookended by two very famous people. Who was the very first person in, in Europe to be converted to Christianity? It was, it was Lydia, wasn't it? Lydia, a dealer in purple, loaded Lydia, probably bankrolled Paul to a degree. You'd think that he might have actually taken the hint as to what God was doing. And at the other end, in Corinth, who was the most famous church secretary of them all? It was Chloe. <laughs> And one has to admit that Paul acknowledged the female prophets. So it seems that even Paul came round a bit in terms of female emancipation. But how is the church faring right now in the midst of the debate about gay rights and the LGBT agenda? I've been studying this topic for over 50 years. And since I have a little time, I just shared with you something that I've never shared before to anyone except my wife. It goes back over 50 years. I was a student at London University. And I was in a flat, which I shared with four others, and we were all Christian lads. We all were keen members of our respective Christian unions. But one day I came back from lectures um, unexpectedly early. And in the flat, I discovered one of our flat members who was with a colleague. And I discovered he was clearly gay. 
what I did was to consult an elder in the church because I wanted to know what I needed, what I ought to do about it. And one evening late, I got back. I'd been very carefully scripted at exactly what I should say to him. And so I told him selected texts from scripture. I told him what I'd been told to tell him. And I think he was crushed by it. It was one evening and he was on his way to bed. And they weren't the words of Jesus. I knew that deep down in my soul. I was the one who'd professed to have been baptised in the Holy Spirit. I wish that my words were as innocent as the clanging gong or the crashing cymbal that evening, but they weren't. I didn't realise how powerful they were. In bed, he just simply curled up, rolled over, faced the wall, pulled the bedclothes over his face to hide his shame, to cover his tears, and to muffle his sobbing. And I never saw him again. It must have been during the night. He, he packed everything and disappeared. And over 50 years, I've prayed for him because I know that I deeply let him down. But for me, it was the beginning of a journey. And over 50 years, I've studied the topic. It's been important to me because I just somehow wanted to know what would the words of Jesus been, have been to my colleague. I don't care where you stand in this debate. Don't try to tell me that the words that I had spoken to him were the words of Jesus. Because my mission for 50 years is to understand what would Jesus have said if he had been in my position. It's hugely important because there are gay communities that need Jesus. And I fear that the church, in some way, in something that it does, alienates, them, alienates the church from people who need him. I've only got a couple of minutes left and I can't squeeze 50 years of hermeneutics into a couple of minutes. And I think it would be entirely wrong if I did because I can't abuse the position of explaining what, how I stand on the topic when you can't answer back. But what I will do is just share with you <laughs> something that I bumped into just quite recently. My son and his, my daughter-in-law um, were living in Ballam until recently, and Ballam in South London. And Carol and I would visit fairly regularly at weekends. And when we went, we would go to Ballam Baptist Church. And we went on one occasion, and it was a baptismal service. 
The candidate for baptism was a middle-aged male who gave his testimony. He explained that at a very young age, seven or eight, as I recalled, he realised that he was different from other boys. And as he grew older, he of course found out that he was gay. As an adolescent, his orientation left him into a life of persecution and feelings of hopelessness. He described how he'd been bullied, mocked, shamed, and how he'd suffered rejection by family, relatives and acquaintances. Timothy faced times of deep depression, and his story was heartbreaking. But Timothy went on to describe the day when he discovered faith. Faith in Jesus. He was overwhelmed by a realisation that while society had scorned him, God loved him unconditionally through the sacrifice of his son Jesus. Timothy declared his trust in God for salvation and he was rightly baptised in the name of the Father, the Son and Holy Spirit. His confession of faith, I might add, was witnessed by Adrian, his civil partner who attended the baptism. Afterwards, I made a point of meeting Timothy and I'm bound to wonder what some Christians might have expected me to say to him. There was no risk of me repeating the script that I'd read out 50 years earlier. For my part, I was delighted to embrace him, take his hand, applaud him for his courage, and entrust him into God's trustworthy hands. God, I know, will deal graciously and lovingly with Timothy. In a world that's hurting, where our gracious God seeks to reach out to all who live in darkness, perhaps we should take the lead from Paul, who discovered on his mission that Jews wanted signs the Greek wanted wisdom, but to Corinth he simply preached Jesus nailed to a cross. Amen. Father, we thank you for the light you have given us in the face of Jesus. It is only through his sufficient sacrifice that we have been so blessed. For without the shining light of Christ within us, 
we would be hopelessly lost in the darkness of this world. Loving God, may the light of your truth, your love, your compassion, and yes, your inclusiveness, shine in us and reflect from us the glory of Christ so that your name is glorified in all we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we welcome Ben into membership and gather around the Lord's table, we're gonna sing again. Love of God, revealed in wonder. Oh, what love that calls humanity to kneel at the cross and exchange our sin's futility for the joy of a father's love. Let's sing together.
join me here at the front. <coughs> Church membership is open to anyone who has made a commitment to Christ, putting their trust in Christ as Lord and Saviour of their life. I'm not in charge here, the deacon's not in charge here, but together under God, we seek God's will and purposes for us as a church and for his mission here in Horsham. Ben, you, you've talked about your story to us, which is brilliant. Uh, making a, a step of commitment to the church is a very, making a step of commitment to Christ is a very personal one, but it's not an individual one, because Christ places his people within the fellowship of the church. We're called the body of Christ, because Christ is present among us, and he chooses to work through us together in partnership with each other and with the Holy Spirit. So Ben, we're delighted that you felt led to, to come here and to make this your spiritual home, to say, this is where I belong, this is where God wants me, this is the place God is calling me to serve. And if anyone here has made a commitment to Christ and would be interested in exploring church membership, do please have a chat with me or with Michael or with one of the deacons afterwards. But Ben, as we welcome you into membership, we're going to ask you some questions, which are similar to the ones I sent you, but not identical. Okay, so brace yourself on this. But... Can I ask you, do you reaffirm your faith in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, having found you life in him? Okay, great, thank you. And do you, do you feel that this is the place where God has called you to serve as part of this local Baptist church? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and seeking the filling of the Holy Spirit, do you pledge yourself to work in partnership with us and with the Spirit of God in God's mission to the world and to Horsham? Yes. Brilliant, thank you. Can I invite church members here to stand, please? And can I ask you, do you welcome Ben into the family of God as a member alongside you in this church? And do you commit yourselves to listen to God speaking through him, to encourage him, to pray for him, and to work in partnership with him in the cause of God's kingdom here in this town. In that case, Ben, let me pray for you. Can I invite you all to stand while I pray for Ben? Thank you. Father, we pray for Ben. Thank you that he has found you, strangely in a fresh way, through not being able to come to church. But thank you for the reality of the faith he now has. For his readiness to dedicate his life to you to explore your purposes for him, to serve you in partnership with us and with your Holy Spirit. So we pray that your Spirit would rest upon him and anoint him and equip him with all that he needs to live his life for you, to make an impact for your kingdom and to serve you wherever you may send him. We commend him to you and we warmly welcome him. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. So, Ben, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and on behalf of this fellowship, it gives me great pleasure to welcome you into membership here at Brighton Road Baptist Church. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Thank you. Please sit down. Thank you. Can I invite the deacons to join me at the table? Thank you. We're here because Jesus has called us, strangers and friends, 
locals and visitors, believers and doubters, the certain and the curious. It's always a mixed company that Jesus gathers and invites to his table where in bread and wine he meets us through him. And we who are different are joined to each other. This table does not belong to any denomination or church or community. It belongs to Jesus. It was at the table he met people and heard their stories and shared his. It was at the table he deepened his friendship with poor folk and prostitutes, the elite of society and puzzled bystanders. It was at the table he shared profound insights into who God is and what God wants for us. And it was at the table with bread and wine that he initiated the sacrament that we celebrate here today. So come, not because you understand, but because you're understood. Come not because of how you feel, but because God has food for you. Do not think this is not for me. Think rather of Jesus saying, I am for you. And accept his invitation to be the beloved friend that he cherishes and longs to feed. So come not because you deserve a place, but because Jesus invites you, personally, just as you are. Let's pray. Lord, as we prepare to take this bread, we remember that you are the bread of life, and you feed our souls. You nourish our hearts, and you give us sustenance to run the race before us. As we prepare to drink this wine, we remember that you are the giver of life. You are forgiveness. You bring deep peace to our souls and your love flows within us. And so we thank you with all our hearts for the great price you paid when you were sacrificed on the cross for us. And as we share this meal together, we acknowledge your undeserved sacrifice and the pain you suffered for us. We thank you, Lord, that you rose again, triumphant over death, as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and our beloved Saviour. Amen. And so we hear again the words of Paul describing the Last Supper that Jesus shared with his disciples before his arrest. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we share the wine 
and we retain the cup until all are served so that we might drink together in the unity of Christ. cup of Christ, whose blood was shed for us, that we might have life. Faithful God, in baptism you have adopted us as your children, made us members of the body of Christ, and chosen us as inheritors of your kingdom. We thank you that in this sacrament you renew your promises within us. Empower us by your spirit to witness and to serve and send us out as disciples of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's close our service with a final song. There is a higher throne.
than all this world has known, where faithful ones from every tongue will one day come. Let's stand as we worship together.
we close with the words of the grace. And now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. May God bless you this week.